0: Male and female and and fathers and mothers and, and the way he's designed this world and even bring out statistic after statistic today of how parents and families influence and dads have an influence and having been in prison ministry we know that and yet I think of that phrase there thank you for dads for uh, teaching us how and uh, it's amazing how We grow up, and as we grow up, we watch, and we emulate our parents, and we try to learn things by watching or even having it shown to us. And as soon as we learn something, what do we do? We we say, we've got it, (laughs) right? Whether it's learning to walk. Eventually, the child's like, I don't want to hold your hand anymore. I've got this. Or uh, getting dressed. I've got this. And then she comes out with polka dots and stripes of five different colors. And you're like, yeah, you've got this. Uh, and I can remember even growing up myself, uh, watching and you think you have it down and you're ready to take over the job because you've watched. And for me, it's like mowing the lawn. Uh, moving to Hawaii was one of the worst things ever. Why? Because you mow the lawn year round. I was like, oh man, it never stops growing here. <laughs> but I thought I had it, you know. Here's how you start the machine, here's how you run it, get out there and do it. And then Dad's gone, and you go, and you're like, "I'm going to go and surprise him. I'm going to start that lawnmower. I've got it all on my own. Nobody's home." You go, and you try, and you just can't get it done. <laughs> like, what? What happened? And Dad comes in, and just like, "Oh, there's a little switch back here. You Just toggle that up, then you pull the cord, and everything, boom, started right away." I don't know if you've ever done that, even maybe at your workplace, somebody shows you something, and, and you're like, "I've got this." And I've got it figured out. I know what I'm doing. then they come and they're like, ah, you just forgot one little step. And you're like, oh, <laughs> I thought I had it. I, I thought I had figured it all out. Um, and it's an opportunity we could feel ashamed or frustrated. And, and some dads make you feel that way. Uh, but our Heavenly Father doesn't, <laughs> uh, does he? Our Heavenly Father comes alongside after mistake after mistake and helps us out. And uh, you see... A couple weeks ago, we were in the Gospel of Mark, and we're back in chapter 9, and and Jesus was up on that Mount of Transfiguration. It was his Heavenly Father who spoke a blessing over him, that this is my Son. And he gave Jesus this gift of, hey, here's Moses and Elijah. They're going to talk with you about what you're about to go through on the cross. You're going to remember that all of human history has been building to this amazing time of your sacrifice and we're going to give you that strength you need to head towards Jerusalem and what you're going to face and he said this is my son my beloved son listen to him the voice rang out and and uh, Peter James and John heard it there and they were amazed at being a part of that Jesus glowed it was an amazing moment and as an amazing time for them to come off that that mountaintop and we We remember that the mountaintops are gifts from God, those spiritual highs, those moments where God speaks into our lives that we remember. The song hits just right, the message hits right, uh, that prayer is answered, and you're like, yes, God is alive and he's real, and you feel it. It even could be a retreat or a time with him. But today we're going to see this, we're going to be reminded that the God of the mountaintops is also the God of the valleys. God doesn't change just because of where our roller coaster of life is going. God the Father remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's important for us to remember that. That's often us who feel the changes. But thankfully, God is consistent, and he is in control. And uh, if you think of the journey of the disciples, they went from fishing and uh, being involved in politics to collecting taxes, just common men. And then they were sent out along with seventy two others after they'd seen Jesus perform miracles and teach. He empowered them with the Holy Spirit. They went out and they cast out demons and performed miracles. And then the twelve went out two by two and he said, Leave your stuff behind. God'll provide. And they came back sharing these amazing stories of what God did for them. Can you imagine that transformation over a number of months, go from a commoner to going out and casting out demons and and preaching about the good news of Jesus, and seeing people healed through you? Pretty amazing, isn't it? And and. We come to this and the disciples had been through all of this and they began to realize we've got this, God is using us. And, and they began to walk in and uh, to be trained up. And then we find this, uh, Jesus and the other three, the four of them come down the mountain. They're talking about what was going to happen to Jesus. And in verse 14 of, of Mark 9, if you want to follow along, that's where we are at today. Well, uh, This story happens. Um When they came to the disciples from having been on the mountain, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes were arguing with them. Immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, speaking of Jesus. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, he said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? He said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus saw that a crowd came running together and he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mutant deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he arose and the disciple asked him privately, "Why can we not cast it out?" And Jesus said to them, "This kind can only be driven out by any can't be driven out by anything but prayer." And so, as we look at this passage, we have a really stark contrast of what's going on in, in the mountaintop and in the valley, and in fact, it's such an amazing uh, side-by-side story. Uh, it's been captured in history, and I got to see it actually when I took a trip to Italy, a uh, missions trip there. Actually, dad was with me at the time, but we got to be in the Sistine Chapel. This is a famous painting by uh, Raphael. It is the Transfiguration. So you see Jesus, you know, glowing and just effervescent there at the top, and then then below, you see the dad on the right holding his boy, and arguments going on around them the strange contrast between this amazing experience and this reality down below of the impact of sin and the battle spiritually with satan and the struggle of the disciples uh, against the scribes and it's a it's a very uh, amazing picture there that gives us a an idea of what's going on and uh, what i find interesting as we enter into this is that um Jesus comes and he's frustrated, right? He's like, oh, "You faithless generation!" He sees them. This boy is suffering there, and what's happening? The scribes are arguing with the disciples. What a scene uh, that is happening here! And and he comes in, and, and the kind of the punctuation, I guess you'd call it, the exclamation points you see in your Bible, the emphasis in the Greek tells us Jesus has some. Feeling in the words that he's saying. And, you know, there is a little bit of a debate. Who's he saying and who's he scolding? I think he's mainly scolding the disciples because he's done this several times in the gospel. Just after the feeding of the 5,000, they're on the boat and they're doubting, and he's like, You guys are so faithless. You just don't get it yet. You guys aren't getting it. And so I think he was saying that, but he's also said this of that whole generation that they didn't get who he was. He's talked about that generation and their lack of faith. But in the midst of its frustration comes love and compassion. And uh, we're going to see that played out in a few different ways. But the first way is, is with the disciples. It's amazing that when he comes up and he asks what's going on, well, Peter wasn't there. I'm sure he would have spoken up if he was actually part of it. But uh, nobody speaks up until the father of the boy does. I don't know if perhaps the disciples had already been in the town and maybe they would already healed some people or, or cast out demons and, and the man found out about it and he brought them to the disciples and then they hit this wall and they could not, they couldn't heal him. It wouldn't work. The demon was more powerful than them. They were being defeated and then the scribes come in and start to question them or maybe even say, well, this is how you're supposed to do it. You don't know what you're doing. And they were ashamed and embarrassed and Jesus shows up and I'm sure they were just dumbfounded. <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness, what has happened? We have lost it. And uh, Jesus comes walking up and the crowds begin to, to gather and um, we see that there's this debate going on and Jesus declares them faithless and he's frustrated with them. And yet, um, once again, we'll see that he takes the disciples, and he's going to circle back to them after he heals the boy, takes care of the situation. They slip inside to a home. And the disciples show some wisdom and growth here, I think, because they go, well, why didn't this work, Jesus? So they actually talk to Jesus about it. They circle back and say, what's going on here? What? It's a teachable moment. And uh, Jesus takes that teachable moment and, and begins to interact with them. And throughout this whole passage, we see him emphasizing faith. The faith of the disciples, the faith of the dad, is all in question. And uh, Jesus says, this kind of demon can only be driven out by prayer. That's an interesting phrase, and and we need to kind of understand that. And I think, uh, you look at this and you begin to say, okay, well, what's he talking about here? And seems to be there are different kinds or different strengths of demons. Uh, We've seen in Mark a guy possessed with a legion of demons. And, uh, And so he says this kind can only be driven out by prayer. And I think the trouble is that much like me as a child, I thought I had it all figured out. And I began to trust in myself and in the process. And I began to be overconfident. I think the disciples began to think, we've got the process down, we've figured it out, and they were operating under their own strength. Their prayer life, and when I read that, I think he's saying, you weren't praying beforehand, you weren't praying during it, you quit relying on God, you quit talking to God, you put your faith in yourself. You chose a recipe over religion, yeah, over, over, my, over your relationship. You chose a re- recipe, not the relationship with God. Prayer is indeed relationship with God, talking with God. And they trusted in the process rather than in the person of Jesus Christ. We see this over and over. They begin to panic about the process of, well, how are we going to feed them? How is this storm going to be taken care of? And Jesus is like, got the person here the very Son of God, the Messiah. That's where your focus needs to be. And I think we grow spiritually. We see answered prayers. We, we begin to see things change in our lives. And then we realize, oh, this must be the formula. And we do it. And we, and we get there and we say, well, this if I do this, this, and this, then this is going to happen. And God's going to answer this way because it's happened before. And we can get caught up in the process or in recipes of this is how God will respond every time. Or we can get caught up in just growing. And, and it's amazing to me being in church planting that as soon as a church grows, everybody wants to know how. And then there's a book made or a video made saying here's how it happened. When really we should just be getting up there and say I don't know how the wind blows or when the spirit moves. But God has blessed what we're doing, and let's keep praying. But then you can see that as pastors, we fall flat on our faces when we begin to think it's about us or our popularity or our skills or anyone in this room's skills and not the work of the Holy Spirit that builds the church in miraculous and amazing ways. And I begin to understand that spiritual growth and success lead us to slowly shift our faith. Uh, from a trust in Jesus and reliance on him into our process. But you see, Jesus' power is present just as much in the highs of our lives as it is when we are struggling, or when we even wonder if he's there or if he's listening to us, or when we just get caught up in everyday life and go on about things without any big things or small things happening. Jesus is in the midst of that. And so, as we look at this and we begin to wrestle with this, where is our focus this morning? Where is your focus? Is it on the the process of following Jesus or is it on Jesus? Joni Erickson Tata, I quote her often, she's a great spiritual hero that walks through life and as a quadriplegic has overcome, but she continually teaches about the Lord She says, one of the most wonderful things about knowing God is there's always much more to know, so much more to discover. Just when we least expect it, he intrudes into our neat and tidy notions about who he is and how he works. God's given us a lot that we can understand and figure out about him, but he's always up to things that we cannot see. In unexpected ways, he's working. And and next week, I hope this uh, guest speaker comes. We see and we begin to grasp how big and amazing God is. We don't want to put him in this little box. We want to let God be God and be amazed that we can learn and discover, open up the scriptures, and never grow tired of pursuing and knowing God. And so we want to rely on him in our journey. We don't just want to say, Jesus, I got this. And then when things get tough, be like, I'm desperate, I need to pray. And I think the reason sometimes we fail to move on spiritually or we get stuck in a rut is that we're too quickly to buy into process and recipes and forget about pursuing Jesus in relationship. You know, uh, an example I thought of is uh, one of the most popular Fish that you can put in an aquarium is a shark. And uh, they say that a shark will grow as big as the tank you put it in. So a shark can be caught and put in a tank and be uh, fully mature at just 12 inches long. Or if it's in the ocean, some species can grow as big, uh, you know, as 8 to 10 to 12 feet big because they have that room to grow. And I think sometimes we limit ourselves. We can have a, a little six inch christian faith and we think we're fully matured and we've limited what god can do in our lives and we don't even ask him to do anything big anymore we don't even trust or rely on him we just go about our day forgetting the god who we serve and how he could use us to impact the world and our families and our homes and when jesus said this is the kind that only comes out by prayer it's not just prayer in the moment i think we all pray out in the moment we need it but it's a a habit of prayer and I'm so thankful for you all who are here last week who spent time in prayer, going before the Lord in prayer. And I'm thankful that our leadership team said, hey, let's just have a time where we get together and we pray. It's an important, impactful part of our lives, our family's lives, our personal walk with God. You see, our faith needs to be in Jesus Christ. I've heard this preached, right? Uh, and I've heard it preached that you know what the disciples didn't believe in themselves enough. They just they didn't have enough faith in themselves. Everything they needed was within themselves to do this, and they didn't believe in themselves. And I'm saying no, they didn't put their faith in Jesus. They believed too much in themselves. And we can be taught that and told. Well, if you just believe more in yourself and be your best self, then things will work out. And I said, no, we've got to become less dependent and more self-forgetful and rely on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the center of our faith, and it is in Jesus Christ alone that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And prayer is how we express faith and trust, where we can share our doubts and our struggles and cry out for help and unbelief. In prayer, I believe, is Jesus is referring to us, not to this simple or, or some exact words they needed to pray in the moment. It was trusting in Him, calling out to God and trusting in God in that moment. And so Jesus' love and compassion is shown in his, his his training up of these 12. And yet, we also see this. And that is that, uh, I didn't plan this. I love, right, one of my favorite things of preaching is mapping out books of the Bible. I just think it's fun. I like looking at them and breaking up sections and reading it and being like, Oh, wow, I see how that connects with that and didn't see that before. And I, I did not plan this uh message for Father's Day, but then I was opening it up with fresh eyes thinking, wait, this is on Father's Day, and then I began to look, and I'm like, so often I go through this and I look at the prayer and the process and and how we need to trust in Jesus, and yet we can easily gloss over the story of the Father in this passage, and I want to take a moment this morning and look at the Father and what he teaches us, this dad, first off, he was dedicated, and he was desperate. How do we know he was dedicated? Well, from childhood, this boy has been afflicted. And if we understand the passage right, there were times where, where the boy would just be going along fine, and then he couldn't speak or hear. He couldn't communicate. But there was a time when he could, and The demons, so powerful, they would try to destroy the boy and throw him into water or cause him to drown. And if they weren't paying attention, what a panic that would be. Imagine how on edge you had to be as a dad to to wonder if at any moment your boy was going to be struck down. There's a fire nearby if he was going to be thrown in. I can imagine the boy being held was not in good health. He probably had scars, burn marks probably pretty frail and weak, unable to hold much nutrition at all. Can you imagine just the whole family being on edge and being dedicated to that boy's care? I think of those who have a child with a sickness or a disease or or that hampers them or a handicap that takes daily attention, the dedication of parents in those situations. Um, And I'm sure he's tried everything they could offer at the time. And he hears Jesus' disciples are in town. If anything is true about what I've heard about Jesus. And maybe they had just done some miracles. And he's like, okay, he waited in line maybe with his son. And then his opportunity came. And it turns into, they can't do it. How disappointing. This was a moment. And then he gets there and they can't do it. They're failing. And then his, his son... It's struggling right there before them, and there's an argument. And he's like, hello, I'm here. Don't you care about me and my son and the scribes? How heartless is that? They're coming and just debating in front of a family who is suffering and a crowd who's there probably more for the entertainment value and the amazement of what's going on than for actually compassion and caring about what has happened. And so we step into this dad's story. And interestingly, after Jesus rebukes the disciples and the crowd for their lack of faith and kind of calms any argument scene, he does something unique. He hasn't done in every story. He, he, he obviously sees what's happening and he could just speak and he has done that before. He's spoken and says, your daughter is healed, your son is healed, you are healed. Demon, get out right now. But he actually stops, and in verse 23, Jesus says to him, or sorry, back, back it up. In verse 21, Jesus asks the Father, how long has this been happening to him? Now, why did he do that? Does it, it have anything to do with anything? Well, have you ever been to a doctor or been there with a loved one and you're taking your child in and and we've had this happen and you're talking about the condition or what's going on with the child and the doctor stops and looks at you in the eye and, and she says, how are you doing with all this? And it just kind of strikes you, it's, you're always focused over here and then somebody says, no, tell me about your story and all this. How long have you been dealing with this? Jesus is not just going to minister to the boy. He has a ministry with the father in this moment, doesn't he? He says, tell me, how long have you been dealing with this, dad? How long has this been going on in your family? And the boy is there laying helpless. And the father's response is quite amazing. Uh, he begins to tell him, and he, he talks about, man, he's trying to destroy him. He's been in water, and, and just in desperation, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. What a humble and honest response. <laughs> he's admitting, I can't do a thing to help my own son. And dads, you know, <laughs> right? We know. We're fixers. We should be able to fix things. And when there's things we can't fix... It's hard to admit, I can't fix something. And he looks at him and says, if you can help. And Jesus is a teaching moment for the dad and for everybody. And I wish I would have heard him say that, but if you can. It's not a question of if with Jesus, is it? He's got the power to do all of this. Yeah, before this humble and honest father, we get uh, one of the best uh, responses that we see in all of Scripture. He says, after Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. It's one of the best answers in Scripture I've ever seen. Because that's my answer. If we're honest, isn't that our answer? I believe. I mentally studied the scriptures, look at history, look at Jesus' claims. I believe he's the Savior. I believe he can do all things. But my heart didn't always get that. (laughs) And I have to say, Lord, help my unbelief. Are you going to build this church? Are you going to heal this child? Are you going to work in this family? I don't know what to say to minister to them. Whatever your situation is, we've all had those moments where like, we believe you can do it, but Lord, I need your help, because I still lack faith. And as the, the Father says this, and he's not contradicting himself. He's saying, I do believe, but I need help. Help my unbelief. So Jesus then turns and he rebukes the spirit. And he says, you mute in deaf spirit. I command you to come out of him and never enter again. If the father had any wondering if this is going to happen again, Jesus clears it up. This is, this is done. This boy is not going to be afflicted again. You get out and you stay out. Of course, the demon tries to do what? He tries to get one last surge in. And maybe he even did take the boy's life in this last convulsing and just dropped in there. But in a moment, Jesus just reaches his hand up. And the boy comes to life. Standing before the crowds. (laughs) That's the best Father's Day ever, right? What an amazing moment. To get your son back. To talk. to, To go back as a family. To not have to worry about that anymore. To once and for all have that demon defeated. And yet. We need to understand, Jesus was calling this man to faith, and it was a moment of lesson, a teaching about faith. But we see that there are times in the Scriptures and in the Gospels, Jesus heals apart from the faith of those who are involved. He just chooses to heal. And, but today, in this scene, he's choosing to emphasize the power of faith and trust in him, both by the disciples who had failed and by this Father who is before him. Amen. You see, he was pointing them and he was saying there's a necessity of trust in God's unlimited power. But we need to remember that's not some blank check that we can somehow control the answer to our prayer request by the strength of our faith. But there's a connection of our trusting in his unlimited, omnipotent, all-knowing direction for our lives and ability to come in and heal. And he still does today. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So we have a, a, a dedicated father who's desperately trying to find healing for his son, but in the midst of it, Jesus heals him. Spiritually. He addresses, do you know who I am? And he calls him Lord, and, and he begins to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So I believe the father's life was transformed on this day as well. Not only did they get their son back, but they had a dad who went back to his family full of faith in Jesus Christ and understanding and, and that cry for helping in his unbelief. And I can imagine that that home indeed changed. That, that I love that phrase. Even in the NIV, it says, I, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, Lord. And perhaps that's a prayer you need to even be saying today. You see, This man was healed spiritually, and it's an amazing thing that happens when God begins to heal us spiritually, and I've seen it, and I've never been more amazed than when I see how, when God changes a man's heart, how it impacts a whole family and even generations. Um, This week over email, um, Compassion was sending out emails of just like, Dad stories from around the world, from these compassion centers. If you don't know compassion, you can sponsor a child through that. And then they provide meals for the child and schooling. And it's sometimes it's because they don't have parents that are helping them. Sometimes it's because the parents can't afford to help them. Oftentimes there's a mom involved, but the dad is struggling. And one of the stories really caught my heart, and it was a story of this family, in Africa, and uh, the, the father, Vietur, um had a son who is now 16 years old. He was a violent alcoholic, and when they entered into the compassion time, they would have prayer meetings uh, that the parents could come to and get resources during the week, and the child was being fed and given gifts. And Uh, The father would say that when the mom went to these prayer meetings, you're wasting your time because it could be out working the garden or or doing other things to further our family. Why are you wasting your time with that? He would wake his son up at night and beat him for no reason just because he was drunk and the son had to watch the mother being beaten over and over. And yet he said, what struck me was I still never understood why somebody who never met us would even give a gift to our child and and take care of them. And. He would go and attend. Reluctantly occasionally. These uh, these prayer meetings. And uh, his son would say. As a child. I always witnessed my father beating my mother. I was so afraid of my father. He would come back at home. Very drunk. And for no reason. I wondered if he was going to beat us that night. And when Claude was six. Is when they started compassion. And. And. Uh, The dad would say, before my child got sponsored, I'd never gone to church besides the time I was baptized, and I didn't give any importance to prayer, and I thought evangelicals were crazy people. But over the years, over eight years, something uh, began to happen during those times of prayer, those wasted times of prayer. Seeds began to take root, and... Viator would say, the center played a big role in leading me to Christ. During the meetings for caregivers, they preached to us, told us about God's love for us and our family. I kept being amazed at the gifts, and it was so hard for me to understand how they could love a child they don't see, and it challenged me. They came to Christ, and he joined the choir, and his son would soon join with him. But through the coaching and discipleship he received after coming to Christ, he realized he had something to deal with. And that's the pain he had caused for his family. He said, I regret the pain I caused for my wife and children. The only time I realized I was a bad husband and father was after I embraced salvation. Now I'm a changed father and a husband. From the time I accepted Jesus as my Savior, my wife and children are happy about my transformation. Jesus made me better. You see, the last person he had to approach was his wife. He dealt with his son and talked with him, and his wife would say, the day my husband got saved, I found it hard to believe. Um, It was a miraculous act to witness during prayers and fasting sessions at church. God would remind me in his word, he would wipe away all my tears, and and, and that my husband would be saved, but it felt impossible. God is faithful. And now he is leading his son and teaching him in God's word. And not all stories are dramatic as that, but it does tell about the influence that fathers can and do have. And I am thankful today. Randy is thankful. Karen is thankful. I have a dad who overcame an alcoholic father and in college went forward and trusted in Jesus Christ. And now he's passed that faith down to us and we're able to pass it on to our children. So thank you for doing that, being an example to us. And I'm thankful I have a father-in-law who did the same thing for my wife and her brother, raising them up and examples as grandfathers. And I'm even more thankful that we have a heavenly father who gives us the church to stand in the gap when dads miss the boat. And I'm thankful that Iron sharpens iron. We can help each other in this journey. And when there is a wound from a father, I can point and say, the Heavenly Father is perfect. He'll never let us down. I let my kids down. I I have to ask for forgiveness. And God cares about dads. Jesus knew this dad. If this dad's life was changed, he could heal the boy. But if he heals the boy and left that father in his state... But no, he addressed the father. He helped him come around. And so dads matter. But more than that, once again, we come back to the fact that Jesus is indeed the godly father who's given an the-